Welcome to the Week 9 Football Outsiders Coach Ranking Show. I am your host, Ian O'Connor, Senior Data Analyst here at Football Outsiders. And joining me as my co-host, as he does every week, is Vince Verhey, Football Outsiders Assistant Editor. Now, this week, we're going to be looking at some of the big news from the week, a lot of uh, coaching uh, coaching talk with some firing, some trades, some coaches getting some new guys to use. Before we do, just want to ask you one question out there. Are your season-long fantasy teams floundering? If they are, you should play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 using promo code OUTSIDERS. Even if they're not floundering, still come play with us and play Underdog's Battle Royale, which is a fast six-round weekly fantasy football draft with easier chances to win than you have on traditional daily fantasy sports sites. You can even win $50,000 if you grab first place. I know pretty much all of us could use 50 grand uh, at any point. So you can also try their pick 'em games, though, where you can easily pick players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines. Now, that's basically building a parlay out of prop bets, and you can do that even in states where traditional prop betting currently is not available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around, so join the fund over at underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog app in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERS to double your first deposit up to $100. Now, without further ado, Vince, we'll dive right into this week's content. And you kind of, you coined this perfectly, I think. It's scapegoat season in the NFL now. It seems like this is that time of year we see a handful of firings, but they're not always head coaches, OCs, DCs, even position coaches. Now, the Lions let go of their DBs coach, Audrey Pleasant, after a just a horrid start for the Detroit defense. Lions are dead last in past DVOA. Given up a lot of yards, given up a lot of points. Uh, it's really not close with them in the next closest team. It's really hard to be any worse than they've been, so they may improve anyway. Uh, or they may have improved anyway without this move. But what do you make of this move from Detroit? So I was really high on the Lions like five, six weeks ago. And mm-hmm. uh, it's changed rapidly. And we'll talk about their personnel moves that they made this week later. But uh, this coaching change, um, like I say, it, it's scapegoat season. Um, the... Excuse me, the last, uh, what do we got here? Uh, the last, I think, eight years, the Detroit Lions now, they're, they're dead last this year, as you know, but you go back through the years before that. They were 27th, 32nd, 28th, 24th, 13th in 2017, and then 30th in 2016. So they've, they've been horrible most of the past decade, honestly. Uh, they were horrible before uh, Aubrey Pleasant got there. Uh, they were pretty horrible when he was there. I expect they'll be horrible going forward. And it's 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 interesting. You look at Pleasant's uh, biography. He, he Pleasant grew up in Michigan, so the Lions were his hometown team. He played college ball at Wisconsin, then spent a couple of years coaching high school football in, in Michigan, and a few years with the Michigan Wolverines. He's been on NFL staffs for a decade now. Uh, defensive quality control coach in Washington from 2014 to 2016. Cornerbacks coach with the Rams in 2017 through 2020. So he was on their first Super Bowl team, the Jared Goff year, when they lost to the Patriots. And then he has been Detroit's uh, DBs and passing game coordinator uh, for the past year and a half until he was terminated this week. And like I say, um, he's, he, he's a scapegoat for everything that's going wrong in, in Detroit. So uh, Dan Campbell can say, it's not my fault, it's Aubrey Pleasant's fault, which kind of ignores the fact that Dan Campbell is the one who hired Aubrey Pleasant. So, um, you know, the, we're, we're going to talk about this more, but... Usually, when uh, when assistant coaches start getting fired midseason, it means things are going really, really bad, and the head coach thinks he has to make some kind of move to sacrifice somebody's job to try to save his job, and that looks like that's what happened here. 
Yeah, and their defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn, uh, in his second year there calling plays. I know in the Almanac there was a point of emphasis about him really getting getting a kind of a redo on, on calling plays because last year really didn't have any talent there in Detroit. But they drafted Aiden Hutchinson, as we know, Josh Paschal, um, a, a good pick there. But the question still in the Almanac was the the lack of talent and bodies really in the secondary is kind of a question for them as well. Not that we didn't really expect Detroit to be good overall, but that was one of their big questions, even though they added some pieces up on the front and on the offense. It was the secondary. Do you think – uh, Aaron Glenn could be the next to go this year, or will it be he and Dan Campbell are going to be out together if one of them is out? So I'm thinking the latter there. I'm, I'm thinking uh, more likely than not at this point. Um, you know, these, these guys have about two months left on the job here, and then Detroit will clean house, probably have the first overall pick or certainly a top three pick, and uh, just rebuild with a new regime because – they were, you know, everyone knew they were going to be lousy last year, and they were, even as, while they were fun to watch, but they have not gotten any better this year, and they were supposed to. And uh, it's not looking like there's going to be a big turnaround in Detroit anytime soon. So, yeah, that's why, uh, while I do feel bad for Aubrey Pleasant, I also feel it was kind of inevitable. So at least now he can get a head start on finding a new job for 2023. Yeah, that's right. And I mentioned giving up a lot of a lot of passing yards, a lot of points. They're the only team allowing more than 30 points per game this year. Five points more than the next closest team there at 32.1. The Chargers, I believe it was the Chargers there at 27. Again, not all on Aubrey Pleasant there, the defense as a whole, but the pass defense specifically has been very bad. And being the DB's coach, you kind of take the fall there. Now, another one uh, we saw this week, the Colts joined in the action, firing their offensive coordinator, Marcus Brady, after making a change at quarterback by benching Matt Ryan. Now, interestingly for Indianapolis, and I've got uh, a couple really close friends who are big Colts fans, and they noted this, it wasn't even Brady who called the plays, but instead head coach Frank Reich. And I know a lot of Colts fans, uh, it seems, are kind of tired of, of Frank Reich at this point and ready for him to go. But as we know, because it's in this segment, uh, it's scapegoat season, so it was Marcus Brady who took the fall there. Vince, is there any hope for Frank Reich to make, make it to 23 in Indy? Can he turn things around if he can what do you think he can do? If not, uh, I'll just let you kind of talk on that that situation there in Indianapolis. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at where uh, uh, Pleasant came from. Uh, it was a very, very fast rise and a very fast fall. He was a CFL quarterback for several years, started his coaching career there, uh, only has been an NFL coach since 2018. Uh, he was an assistant quarterback coach with the Colts that year, then just quarterbacks coach for 2019 and 2020 an offensive coordinator in 2021 and 22, and now unemployed in November of 2022. But again, I don't think it's, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Brady's fault, excuse me, Brady's fault, not Pleasant. I don't think it's Brady's fault that the Colts traded for a washed up quarterback. I don't think it's Brady's fault that Jonathan Taylor is failing to be Superman for two years in a row. I don't think it's Brady's fault. There were so many injuries in the offensive line with Danny Pinter and Dennis Kelly and Bernard Raymond, I believe, all swapping in and out of right tackle. Everything was fine in 2021. I don't think he suddenly forgot how to put an offense together. And uh, as you noted here, Frank Reich is the one who actually calls the plays. So the, it, it's still, you know, mostly his offense to begin with anyway. So, uh, that, that, and Frank Reich is still there. And um, you know, Matt Ryan has been a disaster. I certainly don't think Sam Ellinger is going to be the guy to turn things around. Um, it, what we're seeing here is really dating back to Andrew Luck's retirement, how the Colts have absolutely failed to plan for the future in any way. They were just adding veteran quarterbacks left and right, never took the time to even draft a prospect, 
uh, like we've seen the Titans done with Malik Willis. And I don't even mean a first rounder. I mean a second or third rounder. Find a guy. See if you can strike light, uh, find lightning in a bottle with a young quarterback and a mid round pick. Uh, they've just ignored it. They've just rolled with the older guy of the season. And uh, this, it feels like this result was eventually inevitable. Eventually, they're going to find an old guy who was, in fact, old. And uh, that's what happened. And, uh, yeah, I, I, to answer your question in a very long, roundabout way, no, I don't think Frank Reich is going to be back coaching these Colts in 2023. Now, the Colts continue to be haunted by that early retirement, surprise retirement from Andrew Luck, and haunted in a way that's partly of their own doing, as you mentioned, just failing on the quarterback. And, and one, another point to Frank Reich, uh, of him really struggling and being in charge of this team. We know he's always been talked about as being very aggressive. He always finishes very highly in our uh, fourth down decision-making rankings. Well, in CCI so far this year, he's 23rd. Typically, he's in that top five being aggressive. So this year, he's even taken his foot off the pedal in that department as well uh, with over a quarter of a game lost cumulatively on fourth down decisions, which is surprising to see. You know, a lot of times, you know, they kind of stick to it, stick to their guns there. You know, a coach that's going to be aggressive is pretty much always going to be aggressive, it seems like. And Reich had just kind of fallen off a cliff this year. Neil Clinton wrote about the Colts' loss to Washington in any given Sunday, and I don't have it right in front of me, but there were three fourth and short opportunities he had to go for it, and he kicked all three times. And one of those, our numbers actually said kicking was the right choice by a slim margin. But uh, like you say, it, it, it's unusual to see uh, uh, a coach like Reich get so conservative, especially when, you know, with, with your, with your uh, not a rookie quarterback, but a young, untested quarterback, you don't know how many chances you're going to get. you got to make the most of what you have. And uh, they ended up kicking all three times and ended up losing, I, I think, by one point to Washington. Yeah, the late score, yeah. And maybe it hits a situation of trying to save his job, not going too aggressive, knowing that it's on the line. But again, like like uh, we've said, you still expect those guys to continue going for it, and he's chosen not to. One more question on the, the topic of, of, you know, these coaches uh, basically firing, you know, guys being scapegoated there. Coordinator assistant firings are a lot harder to predict than head coach firings. We typically know which coaches are going to be fired next. If there is a coach or coaches just based on the situations of different teams you've seen so far that you think could be the next one of these that we see, uh, is there one that stands out to you um, at this point in the season with the way you know certain units have really struggled for certain teams? Yeah, it's one of those things that the coordinator slash assistant firings, they're kind of the canary in the coal mine. Like uh, when he goes, you know, it's, it's dangerous and the, uh, the, the head coach is in trouble and I suspect more often than not, they end up losing their jobs by the end of the year, too. So uh, the two units that stick out to me as particularly terrible this year is Houston's run defense, the Houston Texans. I know I mentioned earlier the Cleveland Browns were on pace to uh, break the record for worst run defense DVOA. They've improved over the past couple weeks, especially against Cincinnati on Monday night. Uh, the new all-time worst run defense DVOA we've measured so far is the Houston Texans in 2022. And uh, it's not a, there's a lot of football left, but it's not a tiny sample size. We're half a season in now. And uh, they're, they're breaking the marks by Washington in 1996. So this record has stood for a long, long time. Now, the problem here is that the defense is run by Levy Smith, who is the head coach. And I don't think he's going to fire himself. Uh, so I'm looking at their staff roster page. I see uh, defensive line coach Jacques Césaire. I see linebackers coach Miles Smith. These are guys who could be put on the chopping block. Uh, but again, I do think that's inevitable because I think Houston's going to clean house at the end of the year, regardless. Um, at this point, I think I think they've uh, 
Josh McCown was the guy they were targeting for a long time. We'll see if that goes to comes to fruition now that Jack Easterby is out at the door. Um, you know, Houston's a mess. <laughs> Houston's a huge mess, and I don't. It's hard to hard, hard to forecast their future right now. But the present sucks. <laughs> so uh, we can assume they're going to make some changes there. And then on the other side of the ball, another coach has been around for a while. Well, like a coach who has been around for a while without much success is uh, Ron Rivera in Washington. And the Washington offense has been just stuck in the mud for, for years, really. Uh, but this year is going very bad. 30th in offensive DVOA, 28th, against, uh, 28th in passing, 30th in rushing. Can't really do much of anything. It would be a third time in four years they finished 30th or worse in offensive DVOA. So it's a long-time pattern there. But offensive coordinator Scott Turner uh, is his third season with the team. Joined him in January of 2020. And... Uh, like you say, he's the one who's uh, on the chopping block when, when things go bad. And so uh, if I was going to guess who would be next on the offensive side of the ball, that would be my most likely pick. And though the guys you mentioned for Houston, uh, there's a chance it seems like that could come as early as Friday because they've got the Thursday night game against Philly, who is great on offense, has been the fifth best rushing offense so far this year. Uh, it seems like the Texans have given up about a thousand rushing yards over the last two games alone to Josh Jacobs and Derrick Henry. So that could come sooner rather than later with the schedule uh, or with that game coming up on Thursday. So uh, it remains to be seen. Going to transition, though, to a little bit of a different topic, still talking with coaches, but the trade deadline was this week uh coming on now we saw the most trades on trade deadline day in the last 30 years some of the biggest we know Kadarius Tony to the Chiefs was before trade day Robert Quinn the Eagles TJ Hawkinson to the Vikings you mentioned Detroit earlier we talked a little bit about them Chase Claypool going to the Bears Bradley Chubb to the Dolphins and Roquan Smith to the Ravens Naeem Hines to the Bills is one of those uh that happened yesterday just got in under the wire which of these were your favorite which of the big trades uh, within the last week or so, and including on trade day, were your favorite as far as the team's need and, and the coach's ability maybe to implement or scheme these players? Uh, feel free to cover a couple if you've got a couple that you like. We're all of them. <laughs> I, got, I got two I like a lot, one on each side of the ball. I think the Vikings made a huge deal in getting T.J. Hawkinson for practically nothing. Yeah. They, they gave up uh, a second and a third, and they got Hawkinson, but they also got two-fourths. So the, the, the same number of picks they have, they just are, are not quite going to be quite as good. But it's also going to be Detroit's fourths, so they'll probably be early in that round. Um, and the Vikings look like they're going to be in the playoffs for sure this year, and who knows what happens next year. But that, that second and third is going to be, def, I, I think, a late second. I think one's for, for next year. I'm not sure exactly what year those are in. But point is, they didn't give up very much for, for this tight end. And the tight end they got is a huge, huge improvement over the tight end they have. Uh, Irv Smith right now among qualifying tight ends. We have him right, ranked dead last in DYAR, next to last in DVOA. TJ Hawkinson, top 10 in both. So he opens up a whole other dimension to this Minnesota passing attack that has not been there this year. Uh, the tight end has not been a viable weapon in Minnesota at all. Now it's a, not, not just viable, it's dangerous. Uh, there's not a lot of teams now that have a tight end as good as, TJ, as, good as the Vikings do. And he doesn't have to carry the load because they sell a superstar in Justin Jefferson and another very good starter in Adam Thielen. Now they have a, a viable third option. Uh, I think I think Hawkinson is going to end up being the uh, the third option there ahead of KG Osborne. But that makes it much harder for uh, defenses to face Minnesota. And uh, you know Minnesota is a team that's gotten to where they are in you know, first place in the division, pretty commanding lead, mainly by staying out of the way and letting opponents beat themselves. 
And uh, this is now a team that looks like they're more capable of going out and beating opponents and uh, uh, taking what they want instead of taking what the defense gives them. So it's one more dangerous weapon. Now, I did look this up, and this this surprised me a little bit. Um, Kirk Cousins has only thrown like four or five passes to the deep middle of the field this year. So it's been a void, really. And I thought Hawkinson might open that up, but he is not a deep middle guy either. He's In fact, he's not even a middle guy. He actually works the sideline a lot, mostly the, the left side of the field, which is interesting to me. But uh, like I say, the most important thing is that he just adds a viable third option in the passing attack. And uh, it's one more headache for opposing coordinators to worry about. And uh, honestly, frankly, this, this trade may mean a difference between uh, going one and done in the playoffs or actually getting a postseason win. So it's... A big deal for Minnesota and a very low price to pay. And again, again, again he's he's a young, good player. Um, they'll have to figure out how to pay him in a year or two, and that's a problem. That, that's a good problem to have. You you want to worry about how do we pay our good young players? That's that's a good thing. So I think um, he's under team control through next year, I believe, and then yeah. it came at the perfect time because Irv Smith is out eight to ten weeks, so with a, a a high ankle sprain, so just made sense for them too at this point to needing to replace him already. And. Real quick before we move on, I, I completely don't understand this trade from Detroit's point of view. Obviously, it makes you worse right now. Uh, but more to the point, whoever you end up with a quarterback next year, you've just traded away their safety blanket. Hmm. <laughs> you, 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 you traded him uh, to get some picks so you can draft a player, I guess, to replace him? I'm not sure. what the, I, I, I don't know what the thinking is here. Uh, but they have already made life worse for their next quarterback before they have even drafted him. Um, I'm I'm very confused by this trade from Detroit's point of view. Uh, the other side of the ball, uh, the Miami Dolphins, they've had so much uh, attention paid to their quarterbacks due to both their, well, his on-field success to attack of Iowa's and also his health issues. And uh, uh, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle have been very successful. No one is really paying attention to their defense and specifically how rotten it has been for most of the year. Uh, they blitz like crazy which means their cornerbacks have been exposed and their cornerbacks have not been up to that task. Uh, 29th in pass defense DVOA, plenty of room for improvement. So they go out and trade for Bradley Chubb from Denver. Uh, Bradley Chubb already has five and a half sacks this year. Dolphins as a team only have 15 and nobody has more than three. Uh, Chubb changes this defensive dynamic. He gives them a guy who can win one-on-one -on -one battles and get sacks on his own. They don't have to blitz every single play. That should mean more protection for the cornerbacks in the secondary. That should mean fewer big plays for opposing offenses. It's, it's kind of the domino effect. Uh, it, it changes the way they play, um, or it changes the way they can play, and, and, and gives them more options. And for a team, you know, they're, 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 they have the misfortune of being in the same division as uh, the, the, the consensus Super Bowl favorite right now in Buffalo. But just getting into the playoffs would be a big win for Miami. And... Uh, Winning a playoff game would be a very big win for Miami, and that uh, they seem capable of that, certainly, and much more capable now than they were two or three days ago. And it very much helps to have a pass rusher like that when you mentioned once you get to the playoffs, you've got to get through uh, likely Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes in in some order uh, to get to the Super Bowl and still have to face Josh Allen yet again. So definitely helps to be able to have someone get to the quarterback without having to blitz, like you mentioned, that, that they like to do a ton, maybe take a, a step back there. For me, I, I really like the, the Chase Claypool move for Chicago. I don't expect them to suddenly – be really good and make the playoffs or anything. But the talk's been about how bad their receivers are, and it was all year coming into this. They had Darnell Mooney, 
Byron Pringle, Equinemia St. Brown, and then Vilas Jones Jr., who they drafted, who's more of a special teams and kick returner. But the move just gives Fields another weapon. He's actually been very good lately, especially in fantasy. Uh, he's done very well. Uh, he's QB2 over the last uh, three or four weeks, I think. Back-to-back QB5 finishes. I know it's, fantasy is the, is different from reality when it comes to football, but you still got to play well to, to finish highly in fantasy football, and he's doing that, running the ball a lot. But now this gives him more passers. He's thrown the ball a lot more the last few games, too. I think three straight games with over 21 attempts, which he had like one of those games in the first five years. So I like that for him. I would have loved to see Green Bay uh, go out and get him from what I heard this morning. Uh, both teams offered a second-round pick for Claypool, and the Bears are likely look, probably going to have a better pick, but that's no guarantee the way things are going for Green Bay. Um, yeah. But still, like the move for Chicago. Another note, too, it's on the Hawkinson one that came to mind. In fact, I was not so surprised that they traded him as I was they traded him within the division, too. Like, you've still got to face that guy. you got to face his team twice a year now, and that, it just doesn't happen very often. Uh, Minnesota's new GM, whose name I'm going to look up so I don't get it wrong, Queasy Adolfo Mensa. Um, he had another trade. I, I'm forgetting now, but he, he is he is not afraid of trade within his division. He had a, a, a trade earlier this year with the uh, Bears, or Packers, and Lions that I am forgetting now. But uh, he, like I say, he, his job is to make his team better. And if in the process he helps out a division rival, he's willing to take that risk. Um, which frankly makes sense to me. Uh, if, if if I'm a Vikings fan, I'd rather have the Vikings and the Packers both be good than have them both be bad. That's uh, that, that, that's that's how I look at it. Uh, the Claypool trade, I get it from Chicago's point of view. I, I think they would have been a lot better off doing it in the offseason. Um, you know, if that's two months, they could have had Claypool there and, and, and help uh, Justin Fields develop. And like you say, Justin Fields has played better, so uh, let's go ahead and get him some weapons and 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 you know help him out as much as we can. And uh, at, at this point, I think it's a very unlikely they'll be uh, getting a quarterback in 2023, uh, unless one just falls them. They feel like they have no choice. But um, I love the trade from Pittsburgh's point of view, though, because they have other receivers. They have George Pickens ready to get more playing time. They still have uh, uh, Deontay Johnson and. Um, it's, it's hard to measure because their quarterback situation is a mess and the, their offensive coordinator is a mess. We didn't mention Matt Canada as a mm-hmm. candidate for the uh, 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 scapegoat season, but uh, not a lot of fans, not a lot of support for what Canada is doing in Pittsburgh right now. That's um, anyway, so they still have plenty of receivers. They're, they're trading from a position of strength. And the second round pick they're going to get back for Claypool will probably be better than the second round pick they used to draft him. Uh, he was taken 49th overall in 2020, and uh, they're going to get uh, two and a half years of wide receiver play out of that draft pick, and then an upgrade in draft position. So that was a good move on their part. Absolutely, and and one last note too. We we're talking. You, know, you made a good point. You know, it, your job is to make your team better, even if it's trading within the division. Uh, and it was Minnesota and Detroit, not as bad as they say Green Bay to Chicago, Green Bay, Minnesota, like we see Yankees, Red Sox, hardly ever making trades in baseball. So not as bad of a trade with your point, Minnesota, uh, just kind of, that's kind of the big thing I took away from, from there is that Minnesota was already very good. And this makes them just even, even scarier. It was a draft draft day trade with uh, uh, the Lions. That was the other oh, that's division right. trade he made. When the Lions moved up to get Jamison Williams, they traded with Minnesota. So 
There you go. Uh, Minnesota, they, he actually got hammered for that. Not maybe not hammered, but took a lot of criticism for that for not for trading with Detroit to let them go up and get a receiver, uh, as you mentioned, Jamison Williams, and made a couple other trades, I think, that took some criticism for, but it's been working out for them so far, at least this year. They're looking pretty good and have just added. And want to kind of stay on this, uh, I guess, a little bit of this topic, but a little bit different. Um, some of these teams are in this conversation, but we've got a few teams that are within striking distance in winnable divisions. The 49ers are one game back of the Seahawks. Bucks one game back of the Falcons. I think the Bucks are probably still favorites to win that. Uh, I know in our playoff odds, we have them with a greater chance than the Falcons to win the South. Chargers only one game back of the Chiefs. Uh, they've got some injury problems. Dolphins at one and a half, I believe, games back of the Bills. Which of these teams or even another one do you kind of believe in most to lead their team to division title um, based on their situation? They're all kind of in similar situations in the division, obviously chasing different teams, different rosters, things like that. But who would you put your faith in uh, from a coaching perspective to, to really have a strong second half of the season and maybe take over and win their division? Yeah, the Bucks are the obvious choice. Uh, I'm looking here at uh, oddschecker.com, which has FanDuel and BetMGM and Caesars, and they all got the uh, Bucks somewhere around minus 135 to win the division. So still a favorite, uh, even though they're looking up at Atlanta in the standings for now. Atlanta's defense is next to last in next to last in DVOA, only better than the Lions we talked about already, and it's, it's just not likely that defense is going to hold up yeah. to uh, eight or nine more games, whatever it is. Uh, without letting Tampa Bay pass them. Even as frustrating as this year has been for Tampa Bay, they have been, over the course of eight weeks, a better team than Atlanta, even if their win-loss record doesn't reflect that yet. Um, so they're the obvious choice. I think a less obvious choice, but one I still like. I still think when all is said and done, the 49ers are going to catch Seattle and win this NFC West. Um, Geno Smith has been the story of the year with how he's come out of nowhere and not how great he has been, and he has been great. He has been great, but you know who has even better numbers is Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Gino's in the top six. Surprising. Well, kind of. It's surprising. Uh, uh, he's had great numbers before, and <laughs> I'm not arguing that he's better than Geno Smith. I'm not arguing he's not a product of the Shanahan system, but we've seen him succeed in the Shanahan system before, and this is, you know, most of it before the Christian McCaffrey trade. So... They're they're gonna they're looking just fine on offense. Um, McCaffrey will get worked in more and be an even bigger part of the attack. Uh, and then the Seattle defense has had an amazing turnaround. They were I, I want to say thirtieth in the first four weeks, but then they've been first in the league the last three weeks. And they're probably gonna settle in somewhere in the middle there, maybe on the high high side. But I think San Francisco in the end is gonna have a better defense. And uh, see. San Francisco also has a bunch of key wins. They're 3-0 in the division already, so the tiebreakers are favoring them. And one of those three wins was a 27-7 curb stomping of Seattle back in Week 2. So I, I, I'm still riding that 49ers train as far as uh, the NFC West goes. And, and, and like I say, the Bucks are still the favorites in the NFC South. Yeah, I agree with you. I was going to say 49ers. I still believe in the Bucks as well. The 49ers, it's... With Geno Smith, you mentioned it's been a great story. The Seahawks have been. I keep waiting for it just got kind of like all off the tracks. Not necessarily become a, a, a train wreck, but for them to not perform and him to not perform as high of a level as he has been. At the, you know, we're halfway through. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I still, even if it doesn't, they continue to play well. I do think that the 49ers are, are the better team. They're going to catch up to them. Uh, the defense, as you mentioned, is better. So you kind of said the exact same things I was going to say, just with a little bit uh, – uh, you said it a little bit better with the the specifics there. So oh, I thank you, sir. Totally agree. 
move on to our last segment of the show. So every week, we've done some looking back. We've done a little bit more looking forward uh, this week than we normally do to this point in the show. But this is where we look forward to the weekend's matchups. And Vince, which matchup are you most looking forward to come in week nine? First of all, before I answer that question, I was looking at the schedule. I just want to say, get this off my chest. I hate these weeks when there's only two games in the 4 p.m. slot. Mm-hmm. All right, I think there's eight games in the early slot I'll go on head-head to kind of keep track of, and then there's one at a 4.05, and the next one's not until 4.25. So it's going to be a very frenetic morning and then a very slow afternoon. And if those games are blowouts, it's going to be very, very boring. We had uh, five one of those afternoon games. games last week, I think. Say what now? I think last week there were five, so we're going to go from five yes. in the four o'clock yes. window down to two one week later. Yeah, I know one of those games is Seattle and Arizona, which has, I think, blowout potential. I, I don't have the other one in front of me right now, but I just wanted to vent about that. Excuse me? The other one is Tampa and Los Angeles. I just pulled it up. Yeah, that could at least be close, even if it's yeah. for a couple of uh, fading also rands at this point. But mm-hmm. although we do, like we say, we both think the Tampa Bay will get back to the playoffs. But anyway, as to the coaching matchup I am most looking forward to, I am going to go with the uh, Sunday night game, the Tennessee Titans at the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, which in a lot of ways looks like a, ma- a mismatch on paper. But Mike Rabel has a habit of taking mismatches on paper and winning them. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure there's anyone doing more with less these days. Um, and the obvious match that you look for is Derrick Henry and the rushing attack against the Chiefs running defense. DVOA overall, since that's actually a very close matchup, Tennessee is only 15th in rushing offense, and the Chiefs are 17th in rushing defense, so it's pretty mediocre there. But when you look at it, uh, if you look at the line yards stats, uh, Tennessee's offense is relatively mediocre because they don't get a lot of long runs, and Kansas City's defense is mediocre because they prevent long runs. The Chiefs, excuse me, the Titans are very good at moving the ball chunks at a time. They're fifth in adjusted line yards. They're eighth and second level yards, which is how often they get five to ten yard runs, essentially. And the Kansas City defense is 28th in both of those stats. So if the Titans are patient and stick with what they do, they should be able to grind out some long drives and... Uh, you got to score. Um, it's not it's not enough to, to get free first downs and then punt. That's That doesn't help you. But if they can take long drives and get points and uh, cut down on the number of drives Patrick Mahomes has to, to, to answer, uh, there's an opening for an upset here. And Mike Rabel find, has a tendency to find openings for upsets and exploit them. And still waiting to hear if uh, Tannehill is at quarterback, so they're having to plan the Chiefs are for – Malik Willis and Ryan Tannehill not knowing who's going to be a quarterback there. Uh, it'd be interesting to see, but Derrick Henry just has been a force so far. And a lot of people, I was included, I think all, a lot of us, especially football outsiders with our projections, uh, was not very high on Derrick Henry this year. He's not uh, no. as good in DVOA. He's not in the top five. He's still very good, uh, but he's just, he looks like he's just chugging along like usual. He's been slaughtering the Houston Texans, and we just talked about the Texans and how bad they are. That, that kind of skews his numbers a bit, but there is, he has not been the most efficient back in the league this year, but there's a lot to be said for volume and the ability to take those hits. And, and especially on this team where uh, uh, he's not just the primary weapon, he's the only weapon. They have nothing else. It's, there's, there's 11 guys in that defense saying, we have to stop Derrick Henry. And uh, more often than not, they can't do it. 
that's kind of the point where he's even catching passes. I think he had uh, on the daily or the fantasy embedding show Tom and I do on Thursdays. Uh, I think it was like week three. He's like, you know, the, the volume's there on the ground, but he's just not getting the targets. And that week he went out and got five targets, I think. And then every week after that, like the next, the last three weeks up until this past week, he had like three catches in each game or something, two or three. So that, like, that just proving your point, he's the only weapon they're throwing him passes now when he doesn't normally uh, get the ball through the air. For me, the the game this week, there's a couple of them I want to touch on just a little bit on each. Obviously, Green Bay and Detroit because Detroit's – we talk about how bad their defense has been. Uh, the past defense has been terrible. If Green Bay can't get it going this week, uh, I think I'm just going to give up on the season because uh, this is just a prime spot for them. You know, we saw Detroit got up on Miami early, but Tua Tagovailoa had a great game throwing the ball. Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill both had huge games. Even if Alan Lazard isn't back, although he's – he did practice or is expected to practice today, uh, Wednesday, I saw. So uh, that would be a huge boost. They should just have a field day against the, the Lions. So if they don't, uh, that's going to say a whole lot. So I'm looking forward to, to that one. Seattle at Arizona uh, mentioned, you know, both of us said we believe in the 49ers in that division. Seattle has still been playing well, though. But Arizona has put up a lot of points since getting DeAndre Hopkins back. Now, it's been against two uh, defenses that aren't great. Um, in the with the Saints and I don't know, Minnesota, not not great defense is not terrible. Um, but taking on a Seattle defense you mentioned has been number one over the last three weeks. Been very good uh, to see how they go and if Seattle can keep it up. And then Rams and Tampa, just two teams that had really high expectations this year through the roof and that have really struggled. Um, and Minnesota or Tampa coming off their mini by Los Angeles just played, got blown out by San Francisco. Uh, Cooper Cup. Still in at the end of the game, almost a disastrous injury at the the hands of Sean McVay, keeping him in late, but sounds like he's going to be okay. So there are a few games to look forward to, and fortunately the two in the afternoon have a lot of potential either way, like you said, but still should be some uh, some games to look forward to at least. Last week, the game that we had on local TV here, I'm in southern Indiana just across uh, from Louisville, but we had Washington and Indy as our only game on nationally. So I spent the day on red zone. Well, that's fair. That should be a fun game. I don't know if it was a good game, but it was a fun game. It was, yeah. I wasn't looking forward to it, so I didn't watch much of it. But uh, when I, yeah. I thought when I saw that was the game on, I'm like, oh, great. But it had a good ending, so I wasn't <laughs> back there a little bit. So that's some right. really good ones to look forward to. Six teams on by, though, so uh, we're three games short this week, just 13 games. Before we go here today, don't forget that you out there watching can get a free $100 from Underdog Fantasy using promo code OUTSIDERS. You can find that or get that even in states where traditional prop betting isn't available. They will match your deposit up to $100 again using promo code OUTSIDERS. Also, don't forget to sign up for FO Plus, our premium subscription product at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe for NFL betting picks, fantasy advice, premium stats, premium articles. You get an ad-free experience. You also get access to all of our data on Mondays instead of having to wait till Tuesday as those who do not have an FO Plus subscription. And last but certainly not least, join us on the Football Outsiders Discord for in-game conversation for every game beginning Thursday night football, uh, all day on Sunday, and the Monday night football game. Vince, thank you for joining me. As always, everyone out there watching, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week.